professor of spiritual formation at uh, Lincoln Christian University. And uh, the things that he has taught me um, and the example he set has made a, a huge impact on his life. So if you would like to just welcome Neil um, to FCC this morning. I just heard the words, no pressure. <laughs> I appreciate this guy, and I'm grateful to have been asked to come share with you today. I, I think I've done weddings in this church. I've been here for a number of uh, occasions. I'm not sure I've preached here before, so this is special for me, um, and I'm grateful. I just have one very short text to consider with you today. It's from the 12th chapter of the book of Romans and the 12th verse of that chapter, the third part of it. Paul uses four words. Well, in Greek it was probably two, but I haven't checked that. Anyway, he says, be faithful in prayer. No, it'd be three words in Greek. Be faithful in prayer. Have you ever thought to yourself, it all looks good on the surface, but something's just not right here? Lurking just beneath the surface, you knew something was wrong. You know in your bones there's what I'm going to call this morning a skunk hiding in the woodshed. Just waiting for the right moment to come out and stink things up. So you begin to poke around, you prod, you look in this corner and that, and suddenly there he is. Tail raised, ready to let you have it. Do you know that experience in life? This past fall, Miriam, my wife Miriam and I had some work done uh, in the upstairs bath. We had a contractor in, got an estimate, looked fair enough. But our contractor was very clear with us. He's an experienced man, and he said, you know, there are things hiding under carpets and vinyl and in walls and the houses that I've worked in over the years and I just want to make you aware that while I have given you what I deem to be a reasonable estimate it's possible you know these stories it's possible there are problems there may be a skunk hiding in the woodshed boy was there ever <laughs> the wiring in the bathroom was all askew and I'd always suspected that, but you know, like good husband I am, I take the course of easy, blissful ignorance. Never pays, men. And the plumbing, oh my goodness, the plumbing. I remember the first phone call I got to the tune of $1,300. There was water damage in our bath. The pipe had been leaking for some time. The next day I got a phone call. I began to recognize his name on my phone and I wanted to avoid it. You know, every time I saw his name pop up on the phone. That phone call was about $3,000. The, the water damage had gotten up into the walls. It was all over the place. I began thinking, why not throw in a hot tub at this point? We'll just do this thing correctly and get everything fixed and maybe make it a little glamorous. We didn't get the hot tub. I didn't have money for a hot tub after the water damage. You know how the story goes. 
He'd been such a hard-working, well-organized servant of Jesus. The ministry had grown. People in the community were coming to the Lord. They were coming to the church. He was even asked last May to come speak at baccalaureate. And then one day he skipped town with, of all people, the choir director. And he left behind his wife and her husband and a lot of kids who were wandering on both sides of that affair. How could we not have seen this coming? The people ask. True, he'd been evasive about all those hours he was no longer spending in the office, but it seemed like he was getting things done in the ministry, and isn't that what ministry is about? Getting things done, or so it would seem. I want you to listen to the subtext this morning of Romans 12, 12. In Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, Paul has a number of directives for this congregation. And I'm going to state from among all the words that are spoken there, a few that really speak to what I'm talking about, the subtext of his admonition to be faithful in prayer. It runs like this. Love must be sincere must be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then that word we always give to two-year-olds. Share. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another, Paul says. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right. Live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, he says. Don't be overcome by evil. It reminds me so much of those talks my mom used to have with me across the kitchen table when I was 12 years old. Don't, 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 don't. And I smell a skunk somewhere lurking in the woodshed. Folks in Roman church weren't getting along. Something not quite right. It sounds a lot like church to me. Things are messy when we're honest, we acknowledge it. I think the difference is we're trying to do something about it in the power of our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Scholars have debated the problems at Rome in length, and I don't have time to talk about everything they say. Scholars always say a lot. But basically, it's racial. It's a Jew-Gentile thing. Racial problems aren't new problems. They've always been with us. And God help us, they never seem to be fully resolved. I mean, if you just need evidence of that, pick up the paper pretty much any day of the week. In the Roman church, racial problems were cloaked, though, with this religious fervor. And that is a scary combination. That is a lethal combination. I mean, if you're doing what you're doing in the name of God then surely things are going to go your way, right? So you got these two factions. One of them's kind of conservative. I'm eating the right kind of food. I'm abstaining from all the wrong ones. 
I'm staying away from strong drink, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. The other is perhaps a little less conservative, and they thought, man, I'm glad we don't have to live by all those food laws in the Old Testament anymore. It's great to be able to choose as we please. You read about that this afternoon in Romans 14th chapter. I'm not going to take time to go through that with you just now. Truth be told, both sides had their issues. As is the case often. (laughs) So Paul patiently and persistently worked with them toward the end of Romans in an effort to bring this church back together. Most of the epistles he wrote were about people who were who are fighting with each other in one way or another. He's always talking about unity. And we still have the problem today. It persists today. We hear someone say, I read it in the Bible. I'm quite sure we're right about this and the others have got it wrong. There's no debate for us to have. God is on my side kind of thinking. And we miss the point of that which Jesus sought to do among us. He came to do away with that kind of religion, to create one people under one Lord with one faith, one baptism, one body, not some dismembered head over here and a foot dangling over there somewhere. There's something wrong with that picture. There is, as I put it this morning, a skunk stinking up the woodshed. Or sometimes I think of the Apostle Paul as a spiritual riot policeman. He's always trying to call things back into order, forever encouraging people to mend their fences, care for one another, notice the needs of each other, do the right thing. And that's why he says in the middle of this long list of don'ts, you be faithful in prayer now. You remember to be faithful in prayer. Oh, but Paul, they're being so stupid. Can't you see that? They've said horrible things about me. They gossip maliciously. They let their mouths run like a sewer line. Why would I want to pray for them? Have you ever been there? And to this, Paul responds, I know, I know. But you be faithful in prayer. In other words, you pray anyway. Praying anyway. Paul's language conjures up persistence and adherence and devotion and faithful waiting. Luke, by the way, Luke shares that perspective. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul, if I read the book of Acts correctly. And it's all over the book of Acts. The infant church was under assault. Luke says, pray anyway. They all joined together constantly in prayer, chapter 1. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers, chapter 2. And a little later in chapter 6, the apostles said, we can't forsake the ministry of the word and of prayer in order to wait on tables or to take care of the dole for these widows. Somebody else will have to do that. Yeah, I can hear somebody in the ancient church saying, I know about all that, but the Sanhedrin jailed Peter and John. (laughs) Paul says, pray anyway. Stephen was stoned to death. Pray anyway. But everywhere he goes, people are down on Paul. 
pray anyway. Why? Because this is just what believers do. We pray. Oh, but we do pray. I hear someone in the modern church say. And Paul responds, what do you pray? Well, dear Lord, please help us fix this broken boiler. That's a legit prayer. I don't want to be freezing in the pew on a January morning in church. Make sure we can pay our bills. We pray don't let anyone get hurt or become offended or quit coming here on Sunday. Please be good to us. And Lord, help the preacher bring back those folks who left. We've not done so well lately. I see. I see. You're telling me you pray for neat, marketable results that sell the goods on Sunday. And it sounds a little like you want to control the outcomes and fit God to your plans and make sure everybody's comfortable and happy. Is that what I hear you say? In my mind's eye, I see Paul and Luke asking, you really call that prayer? Or try this one. And I confess to you, I've done way too much of this in my own life. Ever since the campus movement came along in the 1970s, uh, this word enter into my prayers. Oh, Lord, just come be with us. Just be good to us. Just help us to get along here. Just this and just that. And you know, the more I think about it, the more it sounds like a whining two-year-old. Why do we talk to God like that? Are we really listening to ourselves? Are we saying, this is all we're asking, God. We don't want to trouble you too much. We're not asking for anything too incredible. That's my pilgrimage with prayer. I'm just trying to be honest with you this morning. Sometimes I wonder if we don't pray more boldly because we prefer the safety of doubt over the risk of being disappointed. Maybe you're among those who've prayed a prayer for many, many, many years and you've not heard the Lord respond to that prayer. And at some point, you despair and want to give up. I remember that persistent, nagging widow over in Luke's gospel who couldn't get a fair judgment. She just kept coming back, nagging that judge. Jesus says, if she got a fair verdict, don't you imagine God, who is holy, is going to take care of you? See, it wasn't like this with Jesus. He taught us to pray, your name has got to be made holy. It's an imperative. Your kingdom has got to come. Your will has got to be done. They're all imperatives in Greek. There was urgency. There was resolve in his praying. He prayed, give us bread to people who didn't have jobs. And he taught them to pray that. Forgive us. And don't even begin to lead us into the wilderness of temptation. Jesus himself had just come out of the wilderness of temptation. He knew exactly what that was. And so he concluded that prayer. And he taught us to conclude our prayers. Rescue us. Deliver us from the evil one. There is urgency. There is resolve and boldness. That's how he taught us to pray. I hesitate to even say this, but sometimes I wish we were more like that little girl who, when her pet bird died, had a funeral, and when she said a prayer, she said, Dear God, you please be nice to this bird or I will kill you. 
about jumped out of my seat when I read that. She's honest, maybe in need of a little bit of theological sensitivity training, but she's honest. A tad controlling, yeah, but she's honest. When is it and why is it we cannot pray from where we really are? We pray from where we think we ought to be. And I hear people in the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, praying right in the midst of their messes. I think that's a part of what it means to learn to pray faithfully. To pray anyway when things aren't going the way you thought they should. And when will we ever get it straight that we don't have to have it all worked out when we come to God with our prayers. We've got to get it all sorted out, especially when we pray in public and we, we're a little intimidated. We don't know about praying in front of other people. I understand that, folks. Prayer is your most intimate dialogue. It is the most intimate speech and conversation you ever have with anybody. And it is a little intimidating sharing that in the presence of other people. I get that but we don't have to have it sorted out. We pray to God from where we are, not where we think we should be. And this, I think, is what it means to pray faithfully. Do we really want to wait until we're dying, until we finally tell God how we really feel about life? <laughs> or couldn't we do it a bit sooner? I think he can handle it. Do you know the story of St. Patrick? We just got through St. Patrick's Day. I always cringe when on the news I hear about green rivers and green beer. And I think Patrick is probably cringing too when he hears those things. This guy was kidnapped when he was 16 years old. He was made into a slave by Irish pirates. A shepherd boy he was. He lived loosely to that point by his own admission, but suddenly he found himself praying directly from the depths of his heart, repenting for his sins, throwing his life into God's hands in that wild Irish countryside, being formed for a mission beyond anything he could ever have imagined or probably anyone ever would have imagined for him. And in his confession, Patrick wrote, After I came to Ireland, I watched over sheep, Day by day, I began to pray more frequently, and more and more my love for God and my faith in Him and reverence for Him began to increase. My spirit was growing, he says, so that each day I would say a hundred prayers and almost as many each night. Sixteen-year-old kid, a slave, a shepherd in Ireland. Even during those times when I had to stay overnight in the woods or the mountains, I was praying. I'd get up each morning before sunrise to pray. Through snow and frost and rain, I prayed. I see now, looking back, that my spirit was bursting within me. And I am reminded of a student who, several years ago, in spiritual direction, came into my office, and in the midst of our conversation, I asked her how she was praying, when she was praying, what she was praying. She said, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I go over to the east side of the campus, there at the Laughlin Center, 
I sit down on the steps and I watch the sunrise and I pray my way into the morning and into the day. Martin Luther said, I wish my students would go after prayer like dogs go after meat. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. There needs to be a tenacity about our love affair with God that is borne out clearly in the way in which we pray. Do you know, uh, Mother Teresa had some difficult days in her life. She was a great, loving person. She cared for lepers, orphans, people who were on the margins and on the ropes in life. And she felt distant from God. She once wrote to her spiritual director, for some time I felt this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me that pain deep down in my heart. This darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul, she said, Mother Teresa said, is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God, and then it is that I feel he doesn't even want me. He's not there. Sometimes I just hear my own heart cry out, my God, and nothing comes, nothing else comes. The torture and pain I can't explain. You might be ready to jump on her case, but remember somebody else said, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Mother Teresa. Now I want you to understand, she adored God for a solid hour every day of that ministry. But for 50 years, she lived in a dark night, what she called a dark night. Sometimes not knowing where God was. And it might be if you helped enough people who suffered from leprosy in their dying days, you'd have trouble seeing God too. She prayed from where she was. She prayed faithfully. A lot of pain and misery. She prayed anyway. When it comes to prayer, please understand, God seems to care more about faithfulness than tidiness. He doesn't appear to be in too large a hurry. And as for us, we're all hung up on efficiency and productivity in everything we do, including our praying. Trouble is, that's not the way prayer works. You need to pray most when you can least afford it, folks. You need to break away in solitude most when you can least afford to do that. Where I work, a student's mom has been abandoned by dad. And suddenly he can't do his schoolwork. His mom's on his mind all the time. He carries her in his heart. He's praying for his mom over lunch, in the classroom, during the sermon, while he's in the library. Against all odds, humanly, all odds for reconciliation, he's praying faithfully. He's learned to pray anyway. 
Another student's brother has run far from God and she can't think straight. She never quits thinking and therefore never quits praying for him. And her grades and her work and her friendships are all slipping. And it seems again the odds are slim. He's coming back. She's angry with her brother. She's angry with her parents over things they've said. She's mad at God. But strangely enough, She's praying anyway. A while back, my little granddaughter, Evie, who is three years old, reached up her arms and stood on her tippy toes to dance with her pappy on the eve of St. Valentine's Day as her mom and dad played and sang in a restaurant, the mansion, in Dwight, Illinois. Nothing could have made me happier. The side of Evie reaching up for me on the dance floor. She was asking me for the next dance that night. It reminded me of old St. Dominic who is said to have stood on his tiptoes stretching his arms right up toward heaven like arrows waiting to be released into the hands of God. That's how he prayed. Can you imagine on your tiptoes? I'd fall over. You know, give me a podium, something. I'm going to fall over. But that's how St. Dominic prayed. That's how Evie came to her pappy. That's how we come to God. Releasing all those tensions. Lifting them like arrows to our Heavenly Father. One morning not too long ago, I sat at the table eating my soggy Cheerios, watching my wife Miriam work in our newly remodeled kitchen. Did I tell you about the kitchen? Oh, the kitchen. There was, oh, there were several skunks in that woodshed. I'm not even going to go there this morning. What I will say is the cabinets are a little lower. My wife is petite. They're a little more accessible for Miriam today. And I can't tell you what a delightful thing it was that morning just to watch her. Just to watch her putting up the plates in the cabinets, up on her tiptoes, stretching, reaching high. Now for this cabinet, now for that one, now with this plate, now with that saucer. Methodically, faithfully, neatly. Placing those bowls where they belong, one by one, as she has for 38 years. I know a better husband would have gotten off what my friend J.K. Jones calls the blessed assurance and done it for her. I was taken. I was caught in that moment. 38 years she has done this. 38 years when perhaps she'd rather be doing something else. Can you imagine? It's not hard to imagine. 38 years faithfully, methodically, doing this anyway. Some people find prayer so hard because they have prayed. More people find prayer hard because they haven't. Prayer can be inconvenient, troublesome, 
irksome, difficult, a real stretch. But we pray anyway. We pray for the love of the ones we love. We pray for the world God loves. We pray for the love of God. We pray anyway. We pray because we refuse to give up on God. And we pray because there is a tomorrow. Amen? Amen. We're going to enter into our invitation and response time. And we're going to, up here, we're going to sing a song. And the lyrics are going to be on the screen. And I would just encourage, encourage everyone to reflect on these words. And as, as we're in this series on prayer, um, we've had a lot of people coming up, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's wonderful. And I would encourage you, if, if you're in a dark place right now or, or wherever you're at, God is with you there. He's meeting you there. And he wants you to come to him from where you're at, not where you should be. And so if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to come up during this song and to just pray um, with either Neil or Adam or whoever is up here. And if not, I would just encourage you to sit and reflect on these words that this whole song would be a prayer uh, for you and for us. Louder than I'll sing your 